Hello, hello, one. Welcome, one. Welcome, all. Welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Hankins. This is season three, episode 20 of our amazing podcast. And we have an amazing, wonderful, awesome, amazing guest with us here today. Uh, you know her. She needs no introduction, but she is the incomparable Miss Natalie Alabama Channon. Give her a warm soda pop welcome, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm looking forward to spring. It's, um, you know, getting warmer. So we have the snow maybe behind us. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. Honestly, it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful time for creation, beautiful time for all that good stuff. I'm really excited for it too, because we got a lot of snow. Um, a lot of people did get to play it, so that was nice. But I want you to just uh, tell us about like your history with the medium of fashion, you know, like what were your first experiences and things that you can recall in a favorable light, if you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I usually bring it all the way back to my childhood in North Alabama. So my I'm uh, originally my family's from Central, so about um, ten miles outside in the county, and um, both of my grandparents' um, sets of my grandparents lived on um, you know small family farms, and my grandmothers both of them sewed pretty much every all the clothes that they're. Um, that their daughters wore. So there were some great fabric stores here um, where you could buy patterns by all different kinds of designers and um, things like that. So they would buy patterns or trade patterns with their friends and sew all those, all the clothes for their daughters. And, um, you know, both of my grandmothers hung on to the clothes that they had. So they have these great like um, closets and attic rooms where all of these, you know, um, beautiful creations hung. And so, you know, my first real memory of thinking about clothes in that way was sort of playing in those rooms and dressing up. My um, my grandfather, who passed away several, you know, many years ago, um, always said that you know you never knew what I was going to come down in from the from the upstairs. I would have a you know a prom dress or some old pair of dungarees or something like that. So um, I, I played a lot of dress up, I guess, was my, um, my first introduction to fashion. But, you know, this community has quite a history of making things, uh, you know, because of the cotton here and the, around the turn of the century in the 1900s, there were several mills in this area. And actually, my great grandmother and one of my grandmothers worked in those mills for a little while. And, um, you know, most of the people out in Central, the older people would tell you that they had some little cotton plots next to their house where they would grow some cotton just for some extra spending money. Or the kids, uh, my mom always would say she picked cotton to, um, you know, so she didn't have to wear a handmade dress to school one year. She wanted to buy um, a dress from the store in town and things like that. So you know, there's been a, there's a real history of textiles in our community and our region in generally. So I guess I, I come from a long line of makers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've pretty much been around since a child. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, like I said, my grandmother's made pretty much everything. I, you know, it, 
thinking back on it, I don't really, I mean, I don't know where they found all the energy, but you know, like one grandmother would make all the bread that the family ate and, and both grandmothers had giant gardens and they would put up all the food, you know, that they needed for the whole year. I guess they came from that era where you didn't just run to the grocery store to buy peas or something like that. So they, you know, they pretty much were self-sufficient. They grew what they what they ate, they made, you know, I, I don't remember it, but you know, my mom told me that when I was little, I mean, they had a milk cow, so they would just, um, you know, they got their milk from the cow and they had chickens. And, um, and so, you know, it was just a, it was a different time where I guess families lived in a pretty self-sufficient way. And, um, so I sort of, I guess I was born into sort of the tail end of that, you know, before TV dinners and (laughs) frozen before frozen dinners and things like that became sort of the norm. But I I remember as a child in the summertime, you know, sitting out out behind their houses and, you know, shucking corn and shelling peas and things like that. So I have a lot of sweet memories around that. Oh, that's really sweet. It sounds like a really <laughs> warm and friendly environment to be in as a child. You know, I, I guess some people back then would have said it was really hard, you know, to put up all your food and hard work to plant a garden. I don't, I don't know if you've ever gardened, but um, it takes a lot of effort to to grow something beautifully like that. So, you know, um, yeah, they are. I obviously I think very warmly of it. I, I wonder, thinking back, how my grandmother felt about it. <laughs> you know, she worked really hard all the time. So, um, but you know, it's um, it is sweet, warm memories. So you're right about that. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm sure that's instilled a lot of things in you as well. Like you know, uh, like hard work and self sufficiency and stuff. So I think that's really that's really nice. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. So, like, what was, I'm sure that there's probably several, but where does one moment where you were like, yes, fashion is a thing that I want to do and that I want to pursue and know more about? Like, what was what was that one moment that, like, that you saw it and you was like, yes, I want to do this? Well, I, you know, I never really thought about design that much. I mean, I you know, it's it's hard, it's hard, it's really hard to say. I, I guess sometime around the time I graduated from high school, I I went to Bradshaw and um, now Florence High School. And around the time I graduated from there, I was pretty like lost. I didn't really know what I was, um, you know, what my future was going to hold. But I did know that I loved making things. And I guess around that time, I, I kind of, came to know that there was this thing called design that you could study and that, um, you know, you could make a profession of it. It, It's not something, I guess, that was very readily talked about in schools at that time. And I don't really know. I I think the programs today, there's, you know, UNA has a great program and um, the local high school has some great programs. So I think it's a little bit more accessible today than it was. And um, and so I tried that and maybe had like a slow start, kind of a fail start. And then um, I, went, I was in North Carolina and there was just a small 
um, little program on the PBS station about a local design school there at North Carolina State University. And that just seemed very interesting because they had um, both a design school and a textile school. And both of those things seemed very interesting to me. So it turns out that there was um, a really strong program there. And I just, that little PBS show landed me in the program and I applied to the college and um, the College of Design was, or the School of Design, it was called then, it's called the College of Design now. I applied to it and um, I didn't get in the first time. So also another like little fail start. And then I took some classes and did a portfolio and the second time I got in and um, wound up, you know, finishing the program. And I guess it was during that program, I realized that I, you know, I loved the combination of um, textiles and, um, and design. And um, I was lucky they, they have a program uh, they had like a double major you could do in textiles and design that that program today is called the Annie Albers program, who was a very famous um, textile designer from the Bauhaus movement. And um, so that's kind of a nod to this very talented. So I, I did the Annie Albers program at that time, which was a combination of um, like handmade textiles and industrial made textiles. And it just proved to be like an amazing education and I was able to, you know, eventually get a job after I graduated and, um, you know, I've been able to make a lifelong career of it. So lucky. <laughs> That's amazing. Can, I just want to say um, I'm going to take inside because I think this is really, really important. I'm so glad that you said that because I want because a lot of students watch. And, you know, being a student myself and being a person who's about to be in the adult world, um, I want people who are watching this, well, anybody, this is a universal lesson. I want people to know and to realize that, you know, it's okay for you not to know exactly what you want to do. Like, mm. you don't have to know before high school. You don't even have to know during or after college. I mean, it is good, but you know, you just live life and you understand things that you like and you try things because when you try things, that's when you start to be like, okay, I think I like this. I want to pursue this. And then you go off on, you know, on that road and pursue what you want to pursue if it makes you happy. And also I do want to stretch the importance of trying to, something that I've been trying to come to terms with as well is the importance of failing, uh, and realizing that just because you fail the first time, that doesn't mean that it's over, you know, or just because you fail at anything doesn't mean that you're bad. It because I mean, obviously, look at Miss Channing, like she, you know, <laughs> she's literally a walking success story. So who's ever watching this and you think that you're, you don't know what you want to do or you're, you're, you're trying to find things to do, that's OK. That's OK. You don't need to know it right off the bat if you do that's great but if you don't uh don't worry yeah. about that no you know there's a, a beautiful woman uh Brene Brown who talks a lot about this I mean we all fall down it's just about how you rise up you know so yes I've, I've fallen a lot in my life <laughs> yeah <laughs> just rise up and keep on keep on rolling exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. No, and you know, um, looking back at that, at my education, 
you know, there were some classes I thought, um, you know, I'll never use this. But then I, I guess by the time I, you know, made it into university and I was studying, I really took every class as very important and tried to use it. And there's not one class that didn't somehow influence in the end, um, you know, my career. And so looking back at my career there, you know, every single class brought something to it. So I think it's really important whether you love it or you don't love it, but to throw yourself into it, like it's the most important thing you've ever done in your life. And, um, and when you, um, I think when you put that kind of attention to something, it can't help but, um, you know, push you in a, in a positive direction. So I would encourage every, every student listening to really, even when you think maybe it's not what you love or not what you want to do to um, really do the best crafting that you can to, um, to make that class a success. Cause you just never, you just never know where it's going to take, where life is going to take you. So. Good. Wow, I couldn't have said that better myself. Thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, what she said. Ditto. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now we understand that you spent some time in New York uh, after graduating. So can you tell us what that life is like? <laughs> yeah, it was really, you know, the same thing. It was really scary um, when I finally got a job after school. I, I also didn't get a job straight away after graduating. And um, so it took me a little while to find a job. And, um, you know, it was pretty terrifying to go, um, you know, as a girl that grew up in Central just to head off to New York City and, um, you know, um, go into this fashion world where I felt highly, you know, incapable to be there. But, um, you know, at the same time, it was, again, I think each one of the phases of our, of our, of my work life anyway has been just a, a really deep learning opportunity, I would say, you know, I, I think today, um, you know, you can have three or four careers in, over the span of your lifetime. You can do this one thing and then you, that sort of leads to something else. And I think that's very common now, um, much, you know, it's much less common like to take a job when you graduate college and stick with it the, you know, the rest of your life. I think we, we tend to um, have, uh, let's call it additions, <laughs> edition one, edition two, edition three. So, um, you know, I was, I guess um, that New York edition was a great, a great learning experience. You know? yeah. What would you say your favorite thing was about living in New York at that time? At that time? <laughs> I mean, New York was pretty, um, it was a little more gritty uh, back then than it is uh, now, you know, yeah. but, uh, sort of a little more down and dirty. And, um, you know, I've, I've always been a really avid reader. So I loved the bookstores and, you know, browsing bookstores. And at, at that time, you know, it was pre-internet. So it's hard to imagine, you know, what that was like now but you know you really didn't have access to all the books that you wanted to see so it was great to be in a place where there were museums and books and movies and parks and people on the street walking and you know I um all of that felt um, very inspiring at that time yes 
That's amazing. I uh, I, I visited New York a couple of years ago, and I didn't get to go to a bookstore. But next time I go, I'm definitely going to go to. <laughs> There's still some great bookstores in New York. You know, I mean, you can order anything you want these days, but. There is something about, you know, yeah. browsing shelves and finding a book. And it's like, oh, this is exactly the book I wanted to have. I didn't know that I wanted it, but it's it's the book I needed, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. I think that's really important. I'm glad that we still have that experience today too, you know, like browsing uh bookstores and and, and something about holding physically a book, you know, mm-hmm. and turning the page. It adds the experience to me, at least I think. Yeah, <laughs> I love it too. Well, all you can see I have lots of books in my house. This is just a tiny part <laughs> of it. <laughs> oh, aside, I am curious. Do you have a, a favorite book that you're reading right now? Uh, yeah, there's there are some some really good ones. I mean, as I mentioned, I'm a really avid reader. Now I have to think about what I've read recently and really loved. Um, You know, I've been listening to a lot of books on tape during the pandemic. And um, well, I just recently, you know, I saw an advert for that film, um, News of the World. And I I watched the trailer and I didn't love it, but I got I listened to a little snippet of the book and I thought that sounds really good. And so I listened to that and I loved that. And I re-listened this summer to all of Marilyn Robinson's books. So Gilead and then there's, um, you know, she there's several books in that series. So I listened to all of those again. I listened to a lot of my um, favorite books. So the pandemic has been a time that I um, have really reconnected with my books. Um, um, I mean, I can go on and on. And on. <laughs> I, I probably listen slash read maybe six or seven books a month. Something like that. So wow. quite, quite a bit. Quite a bit. So you've been yeah. to- all types of different worlds and dimensions and things like that. You know, it's so funny. I have a, a friend, um, Miss Jessie, who lived out near Central as well, Oakland. Um, she, uh, when I came back to, when I came back home, I made a short documentary film about old time quilting circles, and I met Miss Jessie, and she had only, she told me that she had only left the county one or two times in her entire life. Um, she she passed away when she was 96, and, um, but she said, you know what, I've been all over the world in my mind and my books. <laughs> I always think about her living in Oakland and traveling the world in her mind. <laughs> yeah, she, she's probably been to a whole bunch of different different worlds. And I, I'm glad that people think that way, you know, because, I mean, yeah, she didn't leave the county, but she's had some good experiences, I bet. Yeah, she had a great life and really a lot of stories. You know, humans, I believe that we as humans we learn through stories and so that's why we love you know music and films and books and things like that because we can it lets us learn through other people's experiences and so I think that's a that's a beautiful thing yeah me too and I think it's it's a art that's never gonna die yeah 
Yeah, we crave stories, especially when we've been isolated like we have been recently. So, yeah, yeah, yes, definitely. Um, well, speaking of traveling many places, um, <laughs> in the physical reality world, you visited a lot of places. Uh-huh. I want to ask you, what was your favorite place to visit and why? <laughs> no, I can't. Um, I cannot reduce it to one, but, um, you know, there's some very beautiful places that I love. I, I think that there's a stretch of the Pacific, you know, between San Francisco and Oregon, that is where all those giant um, sequoias and um, it's just a very, very magical place. You know, there's like ferns that are six feet tall and, and I I, I love that spot a lot. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time at water in Waterloo as a kid, and I love. <laughs> there's something very beautiful about um, where you grow up and the lands that landscape. Um, I spent some time in Europe, and I love all of the Alpen lakes. There's some very very beautiful um, spots like that that have these glacier fed lakes that um, just is kind of miraculous and. I could go on and on and on. We might have to do another whole podcast about that. About that. Yes. <laughs> yes. We'll do another episode specifically. Yeah, part two. Yes. <laughs> Travel. Traveling yeah. the world in your mind. <laughs> in our minds. We have to do that. That's that's a that's a good episode. That's probably a good hour right there. There you go. <laughs> um well I I um I thought I put a question in here about your your film, your documentary that you did, um, but I, I didn't, but I do want to ask you about that. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So when I came um, back home uh, to do, start this project, you know, I was doing these hand-sewn um, um, t-shirts from recycled t-shirts. And um, really the you know, it took me a long time to realize it when I first started sewing, but really the the main way I was sewing them together was using what would be known as a running stitch that's used as a quilting stitch. And so um, when I couldn't find manufacturers to help us, I had this vision of coming here and meeting some of the ladies who had quilted with my grandmothers mm. and seeing if I could get them to do this quilting stitch for me. And um, at the same time, I had been working in the film industry for almost a decade, and I had this idea to do this small documentary film about why people made quilts and the process of making them. And so I, I came with some friends. Uh, it's a little, we were a little three-person film crew, and so we traveled all over the, um, like about a, I would say about a seventy-mile radius, and interviewed all these people about uh, quilt makers and even just people in the community about their memories about quilts and their, you know, how quilts are made and that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah. And so we made it into a little documentary. I think it's on, um, it's either somehow it's on our website. You can, you can Google it. It's called um, stitch. So we have a journal that is alabamachannon.com slash journal. And, um, I think you can find it on there. So just look for Stitch and you can see it. <laughs> it's it's a very tiny little film. 
It's only, it's 22 minutes, I think. So not very long, but uh, a lot of the people in the film have already passed away. So um, one of my friends who did the camera, she said, you know, Natalie, this film is really sweet right now, but it'll be more important in 10 years and it'll be more important 10 years after that. So it's, I guess it's um, 20 years old now. So you can see it. (laughs) Miss Jessie's in the film. Uh, Look for Miss Jessie. Yeah. Oh yeah, I gotta watch that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the website. Okay, I'm gonna make sure I do that. Okay. And you did say this film is like like 20 years old. It's 20 years old. Yeah. I came home in uh, December of of uh, 2000, so I've been home a little over 20 years now um, doing this work. So, yeah, I would have just shown the first collection and come back home to uh, to um, start producing it. So. And we're we're working on our twenty year celebration right now. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of that, can you tell us uh, about Alabama Chan and, and its significance and importance to the fashion community? Yes. Yeah, so um, you know, as I mentioned, we've been here twenty years. Um, you know, it's a very unusual story mainly because we started out making hand-sewn garments, you know, using quilting stitches and cutting up recycled t-shirts to do that. And and then, you know, over the years, we've, um, uh, in collaboration with, um, with some people from the community who, um, I don't know if you knew this, but um, this region was once known as the t-shirt capital of the world. And so um, in collaboration with some amazing people who um, worked in that industry um, for many, many, many years, we've um, reopened some textile manufacturing here. And so, you know, I think the work that we've done is important to the fashion community, but I think it's also equally has been important to the manufacturing community. So, um, you know, we luckily have an amazing team of people who are really committed, young people who are really committed to relearning how to make textiles in America. You know, most of that work was um, offshored um, in the mid-90s. And um, and so, you know, essentially we've had to rebuild um, what manufacturing looks like in a, in a new age. And so I think um, that is pretty significant, I guess. <laughs> I yeah. would like to think it's significant um, to the to the industry. And so we've had a, a 20 year commitment to what we would call sustainable design. So using organic materials and local production, regional, um, things like that. So um, that's pretty unusual for a company to have committed to um, those kind of difficult um, missions over a 20 year period. So <laughs> I hope I hope it's significant. I, I, I would say so. <laughs> I say. Yeah. So how can we as a community help to to maintain and sustain uh that sustainability and also sustain the art of, of hand sewing as well? Because I know that's really important to you. It is. And, um, you know, we we're doing a great job. We have, as I mentioned, you know, we have a lot of young people who are really committed to it and, and love it. And I think that's really what it takes. It takes people who are like, you know, I, 
I could imagine being part of making things and I could commit to staying in my community rather than outsourcing work to another place that can be done here. I'm not saying that everything, you know, can be done here. And I'm, I don't want it to sound like I'm against, you know, working with other people in other regions or lands or things like that. I, you know, I always say, you know, if you want to buy the most beautiful silk in the world, you'll probably buy it for from China because they've been making the most beautiful silks for, you know, millennia. Um, you know, if you're looking for lace, you you go to France traditionally to to get these things. So I'm I'm not against outsourcing. I'm I always say I'm for outsourcing for a good reason, but you know, it's going to, it takes, um, as I get older and a younger generation comes up, it takes people wanting to do things like that, like learning how to make with their hands. Um, you know, we could go back to my grandmother, you know, learning how to plant a garden and put up peas and make bread and those kinds of things, because those are really the things that, um, you know, sustain life. I, I think when this pandemic first hit, it made us all think like, oh, where does our food come from? Is our food shed, you know, secure? Like if roads shut down and people can't drive, like, do we have enough food in our community? And so these are things I think are, are these are all really important questions. And, um, you know, unfortunately in America, I think over the last few decades, you know, it's become less noble, but this is very noble work and very important work. And um, it just takes young people like you um, realizing and, and trying to figure out how they can be a part of that and how they can, um, let's call it, you know, thread those kinds of things that we need as a nation and a region with their wants and desires. So, you know, weave it all together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, weave it all together. I like that. <laughs> so, so you've uh, you've done a lot of speaking and you've done a lot of seminars and workshops. And what is some advice for some young up and coming students who have the same passion, who share the same passion with you? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> that, um, you know, I don't, Let's see how to say this best. I, you know, I think we all kind of want a magic sauce. (laughs) You know, we want like the secret sauce. Like, how do you do this? What is the secret sauce? And unfortunately, the secret sauce is not really magic. It's really, (laughs) it's more like get up today, you know, go to work, do those things. And then tomorrow, get up and do the same thing over again. You know, (laughs) It's really, um, I think it's about commitment and about finding something that you love to do and and then just giving it everything you have. You know, I always say we've bootstrapped this company just from the ground up, and that's really the truth. And, you know, looking back over a 20-year trajectory, it's, you know, it's incredible where we've been able to come, but it didn't happen overnight. You know, it was just 20 years every single day showing up and trying to make the right decisions and do the right thing for everybody, all the partners involved, Um, you know, from our farmers in Texas that we work with all the way through to our guests who come in to support us. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship that, that, um, 
covers a wide base of people. So doing the best for everybody that you can. And that's, um, that's what you have to do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really, uh, that's accurate. And that's really inspiring as well. Um, and also as an aside, I do want to ask, I know this is kind of on the spot, but do you have any like tips for networking at all? Because, you know, I know that you're pretty good at that. And obviously you're good at that. <laughs> so I want to know if like you could tell some of the students, the same people, like, you know, uh, are there any tips to put yourself out there, you know, uh, as far as networking goes? I mean, um, you know, I, I, it's funny because I don't think my, think of myself as really good at networking, but, um, you know, we do, uh, let's put it this way. I do work at it every day. You know, it's called networking. We do work at it every day. And I think the tools that we use are the same tools that, that you have available to you. You know, um, we have an Instagram page that we use to try to reach our customers and our, and, and, um, you know, guests who might think in the same way that we think we, um, we have a journal that we use to tell stories and we put those stories out there and, you know, we've been doing that. We also, the journal has, um, we started the journal in 2006, so it's 15 years old now. And, you know, that's a very, it's a very vulnerable thing to tell a story, you know, it's scary. And so um, we have these staff development meetings at our, um, at our place currently, we're, we're going through these staff developments. And, you know, I said something to them, uh, to our team yesterday, like, be courageous, you know, you have to show up and be courageous. Like if you were, and you can tell me you're not courageous, but if you're living and participating in life, you know, you're courageous, like just showing up every day takes courage. And so some of us, you know, have to reach really deep inside of ourselves to find that courage, but just putting a story out there, you know, I still struggle with that from time to time. Like how, how do you best tell this story? How do you um, make that story inclusive for everyone involved? How do you? And so I think, again, you know, I wish there was a secret sauce for it. And if you find one, can you let me know? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's the same sort of thing. It's really just showing up every day, um, learning what your vision is, and then trying as best as you can from with the tools that you have accessible to you to tell that, to tell that story, to tell your story in an honest way. You know, that's my, that's my take on it. <laughs> I, I hope that's, that's helpful. No, no, it is. It's very helpful. I, I also agree. Um, and I'll definitely make sure that I keep working on it as well. And I hope that everyone listening will continue to work on it as well. Yeah. Um, but here we are, we have arrived at the end. Um, I wanted to ask if there's anything that you wanted to plug at all or any anything that you wanted to say before we, yeah. we depart? Well, we, um, you know, for those of you who are, are um, local here to our region or even from afar and want to come for a visit to this great um, place where we live, um, we do have a, um, a, a store in our factory um, that is out in the industrial park of Florence, Alabama. The um, We call it the factory at Alabama Channon. 
and um, you're all welcome. We're open from Tuesday to Friday from 10 to 5. So, um, you know, bring a mask and, <laughs> and um, come see what we do. Um, you can visit our website, read our journal, send us questions. We, um, you know, we do workshops for universities and things like that. So um, just be in touch. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and to learn more about you. Me too. Um, thank you. You're very smart, engaged young man. Thank, thank you. you. It was a great interview. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I appreciate it. I'm going to okay, start blushing. Okay. So. <laughs> Go ahead. You can blush. You can be proud. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, thank you, guys. Um, thank you, Michelle. Um, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you listening. Um, thank you for tuning in every week. Um, if you have any questions, send it to our Instagram. And um, and yeah, this has been another episode of the Soda Pop Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Tyler. Uh, thank you for an amazing episode, Miss Shannon. And we are signing off. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey, guys. Make sure to check out all of our social medias. Feel free to send us your feedback at arts at una.edu or through the DMs of any of our social media. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you in the future. This podcast has been brought to you by UNA School of the Arts. Executive producer is Mark Gallegos, co-produced by Selena Fugate and Tyler Hankins. Special thanks to Dr. Terrence Brown and the entire SOTA staff.